on this episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about leading Texas insurers through challenge and change with Albert Betts from the Insurance Council of Texas. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. And we're back with another great episode of the Insure Tech Geek Podcast. I'm your host, James Benham from beautiful College Station, Texas, joining us from another beautiful city, one of my favorite in the state of Texas, actually, because it's got a beautiful river running right through it from San Marcos, Texas, Albert Betts. Albert, how are you doing? I'm good, James. How are you doing? It's a good day. You know, it's uh, uh, like you and I were talking in the pre-show. Uh, it's going to be under 100 next week, which we're just relieved about for some reason we're celebrating like i said celebrating 95 and uh thinking it's actually what winter like weather here almost. i know right like put a sweater on it's gonna be cool uh it, it was my my uh my youngest daughter is a cheerleader and uh she had went to the game yesterday because she's middle school oh. uh and and it was 107 degrees you know the car. The car temperature at the field when we right. pulled up right. was one hundred and seven, and uh, I was like, "My poor baby's going to melt." <laughs> yeah, we're looking at a balmy one hundred and eight here today. So, oh, uh, good lord! I, I sympathize with her. I sympathize with you because I'm going to hope you sat out there and uh, I, did, I, I did. Okay, right. <laughs> it was it was something of the father of two two daughter cheerleaders, you know. So <laughs> it's yeah. um. Good luck uh, I've, to you, man. Yeah, I've 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 sat at a lot of games and a lot of heat uh, in this state, but we're we're going to talk about Texas and we're gonna, because this is like, that's actually one of my and you don't you don't know this but like Texas is one of my favorite topics. I got here uh, for the uninitiated listener out there. Uh, I uh, am from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, born and raised there, but I left when I was eight, turned eighteen, graduated high school, came to Texas A and M, uh, and never <laughs> never went back, uh, never looked back. Uh, Texas has been my home now. For 26 years and uh I, I love it i'm still in college station travel around the state travel around the country a lot um let's that's that's a little bit about me but let's let's talk about you albert where were you born and raised actually born and raised in dallas so nice native texan lived here all my life um uh, came down to the uni the university of texas uh, at austin to go to college and never left. Uh, stayed here and got my law degree after my undergrad degree. And uh, like part of the problem here in Austin now or the Austin area, I stayed along with a few other 100,000 people uh, after <laughs> they came down here. And so now we're extremely crowded. But I've, I've been in Austin, the Austin area, 41 years now, uh, believe it or not. It has flown by. Uh, awesome. That's so awesome. Lived here, got married, have kids. Uh, and this has been home uh, for a while. But, yeah, born and raised in Texas, so uh, this is my native state. Yeah, it's a – I got here as fast as I could and stayed, um, and it's been a, been, a, been a great place. And certainly we have a huge insurance industry in Texas, massive. You know, people talk about uh, – they talk a lot about Connecticut. They talk a lot about, you know, the Hartford area. They talk a lot about New York City. talk a lot about London. Uh, Texas is the the world's – if it were his own country, it's roughly the eighth largest economy on the planet. Right. Uh, and actually, yeah. we are the seventh largest uh, insurance market in the world. 
Yeah, just Texas. Yeah, just <laughs> Texas by itself. So that's that's how big it is here. A couple thousand companies riding insurance here in Texas. Uh, we are the sixth largest contributor of, of taxes uh, through premium taxes that the uh, insurance industry pays here. So very big, very important part of the uh, infrastructure of the Texas economy. As I often tell people, you couldn't drive your car, couldn't keep your home or have a business without insurance. Uh, that's that's just the honest truth. Unless you want to go bare and take your chances. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I don't I don't suggest that in a state where we have pretty much every natural disaster uh, except uh, volcanoes. I believe is the only one we're missing because we actually do have earthquakes. Um, we do out in West Texas occasionally. So it's uh, it's not unusual to find us leading you know tornadoes, hailstorms, uh, floods. Uh, Biggest, largest uh, freeze uh, uh, ever a couple of years ago of all the things that happened here in Texas. So big market, important market, and a key driver of the uh, of the Texas economy. That's yeah, that's so true. Well, let's let's chat about about you and and kind of your career for a second before we jump into the Insurance Council of Texas and talk about you know that our our beloved industry here. Um, you know, you you were born and raised in Dallas, and you went to. UT uh, for undergrad and for law school, um, and and you had a, a varied career. You actually worked for the Texas Attorney General's office, then you worked for the Texas Work Comp Commission, uh, then the state of off the state office of risk management uh, and the office of Attorney General. Then you had the uh, Texas Department of Insurance for quite some time, ninety eight to to oh eight. Looks like it was uh, at least a decade there, and then uh, and then you actually went into private practice. And uh, and then and then, uh, you know, almost 10 years ago, nine years ago, you went to Insurance Council of Texas. So you you did your stint in the in the state government and certainly uh, uh, ran the gambit there. Uh, I'm a, currently an, an a governor's appointee. I'm on the Texas Southern University Board of Regents. And so I, I serve the state. and I serve the incredible students of Texas Southern at the very first HBCU Law School in Texas, uh, the Thurgood Marshall School of Law, which was what this what the school was created for. Well, congratulations, James! I did not know that. Good for yeah. you. Good good service. Good way to give back. It is, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I go to Third Ward uh, every other week, pretty much, yeah. and and hang out with uh, all my tigers down there. And, cool. Hey, and, let me let me clarify. You you mentioned I worked at the AG. Just so we're all clear, this was a long time ago. Not right now. In 1990, uh, 1991 to yeah. 1993. Yeah, given what's going uh, on with the AG right now, just make it clear. Well, yeah, 30, okay, so 30 years ago, he worked at the AG's office. Let's provide some clarity. We're not clarity. Talking about, yeah, I will not be testifying yeah, and, this week. Or yeah, this week. And, and my, my listeners are really not going to be familiar with the fact that uh, that our current attorney general is, <laughs> is, is in a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, we're not talking about that at all, but right. it's just, it just helps color, color your, your background, you know, that you, you've really had a, a great diverse career, uh, in, in law and then in insurance and, uh, in state service and then in private practice and then on to the, to nonprofit service. Um, and by the way, if you ever, if you ever want to come to Thurgood Marshall School of Law and hang out with my students and talk to them, I'd, I'd love to have you down there. They would, well, they would love to. We'll get be to happy to. It's, it's, uh. As you run through that, uh, my background, 30, 30 plus years, it also <clears throat> reminds me, and I've often said this, it's just, it looks like I can't keep a job. 
uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> I've changed so many times, but no, it's been a, uh, to paraphrase, it's been a long and winding road um, yes. uh, over the yes. last 30 plus years or so. Well, let's, let's just talk about like, what were your big takeaways? And, and you are, and I'm, I'm actually most interested, you know, you worked for TDI for, for Texas Department of Insurance right. uh, for, for about a decade, um, including as chief of staff. Um, you know, commissioner uh, on the commissioner's office division of work comp. I mean, you, you, you're, you're busy uh, in the state level. Like what was your big takeaway from, from working at uh, Texas department of insurance? That, that was probably the first time I really had a good sense of how big the Texas insurance market was and how intricate uh, it was. Cause having done what I'd done before, I just saw insurance from a uh, legal background. So I was, prosecuting fraud cases or representing uh, my agency against the regulator often. Um, and having gone over to TDI, it was a good opportunity just to see of all how varied uh, their work is and their responsibilities are uh, and what a huge market is. And some of the really tough decisions um, uh, they have to make, the department has to make about uh, how to regulate, how to interact with regulators, uh, some of the discussions that went on when I was there or that I was a part of, you know, directly impacted uh, the Texas market and how policyholders got coverage or how companies handle rates. Uh, so really, uh, I think it, for me more so just learning the importance of what the Department of Insurance does uh, to make sure Texas has a healthy and uh, vibrant insurance market. Yeah, we've got a, some some stark examples out there at state levels of states that have challenging regulatory environments on insurance and it's led to a very very challenging um market for the consumer and i'll i'll speak specifically about florida where where rates have skyrocketed and and you can blame hurricanes and natural disasters all you want the reality is the assignment of benefit with the roofers and the lawyers and the full roof replacement cost <laughs> on 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 roof replacement and uh, you know, combine that with Morgan and Morgan uh, law firm out there, in uh, the fact that even after Florida, fought, you know, changed all their laws to really mimic Texas's insurance laws around this, Morgan and Morgan filed thousands of lawsuits the last day they were allowed to. Right. You know, so they, you know, you look at, at all these carriers getting taken down, and and a lot of it's from roofing claims. The regulatory infrastructure in a state dramatically impacts the citizens in a, in a huge way. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. It's uh, well, getting to the intricacies of Florida. You know, that's that's where you see. Uh, I'll use the word failure, just a failure of a system, uh, an abuse of a system uh, by the legal uh, system out there. Plus, you add in the hurricanes and the huge losses and uh, the assignment of benefits issues, which we don't have here in Texas. Uh, the fraud um, that occurs uh, in Florida. So you see what happens when a market is not uh, either not well regulated or the political forces that are driving um, how PNC is handled out there puts in place bad uh, or poor ideas that end up harming the marketplace. So I, I, Florida is often my example of what we don't want to become. Um, yeah, me too. Uh, uh, that's not, you know, we have a coast like Florida. We have a coastline. We get hit, hit with hurricanes. But uh, it's a perfect example of here's what you don't do. And, and we often 
use it in discussions about, you know, uh, what can we do to the Texas market? It's don't do what Florida did uh, or don't do what California has done uh, in response to, to issues out there. So uh, yeah. I think the value of having a good solid, you know, and people will disagree with the insurance commissioner and his or her decisions over time, but having good solid decision-making and having, um, having been there and being chief of staff and, in part of those discussions, I think it was it was well worth the the experience of seeing it from a different side. James, uh, um, uh, real quick story because I had when I was the uh, attorney for state risk management, there was a position that I advocated for uh, with the uh, regulator, and I was told no. And I thought I came back and I probably told my board and whoever else what a what a bad decision. Uh, this is not good for us, blah, blah, blah. But then when I became the regulator, my predecessor or two predecessors after me in that same role, guess what? They came in and made the same, exact same argument um, about the issue. And they told me, they said, we know you made this argument because we can see, we found your memo uh, on it. And we believe what you believed, that uh, this change needs to happen. And I just laughed at them and said, you know what? That was a great argument. Guess what? Not doing it. Uh, because in, in my role as a regulator, I don't think it's a good idea, but I'm glad. <laughs> Guess what? I've got a new hat on. <laughs> that, that is it exactly. A long way to get there. Once my hat changed, I was like, yeah, that's a great, that's a great argument. Not doing it. Um, and, and their response was sort of like, well, wait a minute. You said, I said, yeah, I know. I was in that hat. Um, I was wearing, I was, I was serving in a different capacity. That and, is uh, right. Yeah. Well, let's. This is an insurance technology show, and I love talking about insurance. But I really love talking about insurance technology. Right. What do you think? What do you think the role that insure that technology has played in insurance? Well, tell me. Tell me about your observations as a regulator and as a representative of the insurance industry and the role that tech's playing in insurance. Like everything else now, it's. Um, I think it's really driving where the insurance industry is headed. Uh, you know, the industry, as you're well aware, uh, has had this image of being this staid and stodgy uh, old boy network that we don't change. We write our policy and we, we do this and this is how we do it. But I think the industry over the last few years has, has come quickly realized they have to adapt and change. Uh, customers have different expectations about how they're going to interact with an insurance company, about how their service occurs. I think the industry has figured out. And my example is go back to. Um, Go back to Uber and Lyft. Go back to the transportation network companies. And if you may recall, uh, at least I know, when that issue came up and basic issue, it was you had a per person in their personal vehicle under their personal uh, policy, but they were engaged in a commercial activity and your personal policy didn't allow for that. So a lot of work, I think initially a lot of, oh, my God, what are we going to do with this? But the thing I saw was the industry working with the, the TNCs, Uber and Lyft and others quickly figured out, oh, there's an opportunity here. Um, there's an opportunity to provide a product, uh, a policy that can serve a growing market. And so let's figure out how to make it work. And they did. And I think you, you find the industry much more willing now as you know, customer expectation changes, new products come in the market, that they are quickly adapting. Uh, and finding ways to make that work. I'll, I'll point you to even think about during the ice storm here back in 2021. Uh, also remind you, uh, we are in the middle of COVID still. So people were somewhat locked down. 
um, couldn't get out of your house, you're stuck. You had over half a million claims come in from that ice storm, Texas, uh. statewide. And companies had employees working remote because of COVID. Um, and probably 10 years ago, that would have been a disaster in terms of claims handling and, and uh, outreach to consumers, but the industry had changed. And so you had apps to file your claim. Uh, you could work remotely and handle um, interact with customers. So I think I think the industry has just figured out uh, to be nimble, to be quick. The industry is invested in InsureTech um, very heavily. I've I've heard seen some numbers that there may be over three billion dollars invested by the insurance industry in uh, uh, InsureTech. So they're they're trying to nurture new ideas and new approaches. So it. Um, this ain't, you know, I'm borrowing a very old phrase from a very old car company, but this ain't your father's insurance industry. Um, this is this is different. And I think um, that should be, you deal with TSU in the law school, TSU, but I think it should be even more attractive as we're trying to find uh, new people to come into the industry because younger workers, you know, they grew up with, with smartphones and, and iPads. And so they are used to technology. Uh, so I think this industry has done a great job of, of catching up and I think is probably, in some cases, leading the effort to uh, to help change technology for, for insurance. Yeah, and in some cases it really is, especially in, in making it easier for consumers to buy insurance, right? And, right? and one of the most painful things about buying insurance historically was all the friction involved in filling all the data on your application. And, you know, there's a there's a ton of big data, public data sources that people are tapping into now on property records and vehicle records and, you know, wet weather around property and the building structures and 3D models of those structures that are formed from satellite images that are helping dramatically streamline the um, application and underwriting process to make it easier to get insurance. Yeah, and it's a uh, it's a uh, I never I'll, as I'm going to use my own personal experience. I haven't talked to anybody to buy insurance in the last, I don't know how many years, because everything is, 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 is on an app or it's online. And I think that innovation, uh, I had a claim a couple of years ago because someone ran into my vehicle. Uh, we did everything through the app, uh, took pictures, sent in the uh, damage. Wow. <laughs> uh, and that, that, that's allowing, that's making the claims process quicker. Uh, and I know in some instances, there's, they may have to come out and look at your vehicle or your house because of the nature of the damage. But even having that available to consumers who don't have time uh, and who are trying to get things done quickly, I think has been been great, uh, great for the industry. That's outstanding. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm also excited about the potential to respond to changing needs um, with new insurance products using technology to, to really help facilitate the rollout of those products. You know, right. I mean. You, you cited ride sharing or TNC, you know, and I would also cite short term rentals because that really threw the the property insurance market for a loop because it's not it doesn't behave like a long term rental right. and it doesn't behave like a single family occupied house. It's a very different risk. And I own a couple of Airbnbs, so I, I've you know, I've, I've seen how the, the the nature of the operations of, of renting a house at short term is very different than, than long term and different risk profile. And so there's a whole new suite of products now that are that are certainly tied to that. And and now, of course, we're starting to see some exciting insurance products tied to just utilization based insurance, uh, you know, where you're not having to pay all year. You pay while the, while the vehicle is being rented or by, while the house is being rented instead of having to cover it all the time. So there's some very 
interesting new products that have been really facilitated by the fact that you can, you know, plug into an OBD2 port in a car or you can have an app connected to the car. Or you can, you know, like I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a airplane pilot. I'm also a drone pilot. And so, um, you know, when I fly my drones, I buy insurance by the, by the hour through Verifly. So I don't actually buy annual insurance on my drones. I just buy insurance for the location and time I'm actually flying. And it's far cheaper than a, than a standard, you know, drone policy. So it's been really good to see, um, a lot of that, that, uh, in, uh, that innovation. Now you currently represent, let's talk about insurance council of Texas for a okay. second. Cause I want you to, I want you to plug why, why do y'all exist and what, uh, what do you do for the state of Texas and for the insurance industry? That's a good question. Think about, uh, in, insurance company, we have about 400 member companies, insurance companies, they do their, their work with the department of insurance and otherwise, but, what we serve as is more of a collective voice uh, for the insurance industry. So we can, for example, with certain issues, deal with the regulator on behalf of the industry as a whole. Um, we can uh, educate legislators on issues uh, for the industry as a whole. Uh, and then um, part of what we do also after severe events like the, the winter storm or hurricanes or whatever, you know, we're a good resource for the media. Uh, to help educate uh, the media and the public on things like you had this claim, how do you, how does the claim process work generally? Uh, how to avoid fraud? Um, here's what your coverage is or isn't. Uh, think about after a flood event, huge flood event. Let's go, Harvey. Um, well, we were trying to help educate people that you've got to have comprehensive coverage, auto coverage uh, in a flood. And amazed how many people don't understand things like that. So. We, we serve as a collective force uh, for the companies in this state. We help educate them on what's going on. Uh, we provide educational events for our own members uh, uh, to keep them abreast of insurance trends and changes. Uh, so it's, it's, been, it's beneficial to our members. There are various state trades around the country. We are the largest uh, in the nation in terms of membership number. Uh, and we represent, James, about 86% of the property and casualty market uh, in the state when you measure by premium volume. So uh, we're the biggest and one of the biggest states. Uh, and I think we do a great job of, of representing our members' interests, keeping them informed uh, and helping with uh, make sure they understand what's going on in Texas. Huge state um, and very important to state to many of our member companies. Absolutely. And and certainly you're there advocating for the industry, make sure that insurance companies have appropriate regulatory frameworks in place that allow them to stay in business. Stability in insurance companies is extremely important for the policyholders, right? And right. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's important that uh, I talked earlier as a regulator, I take one view as the uh, advocate for an insurer, I may have a different view. And so oftentimes, you know, we're, we're talking with the regulator about here's what our members are concerned about or the re, uh, regulators taking a particular position that is problematic for our members uh, or the regulators adopting a new set of administrative uh, rules that we have to go in and talk about. Well, for our members, this works or doesn't work. Uh, so it, it's a good way for us to you know, keep their interests at the forefront. Um, it's a good way for companies to use us as a single source uh, instead of having teams of people to come in and do some of the uh, uh, advocacy and representation work. So 
Uh, very important to our members. We are a long-standing organization, but uh, it's it's a good industry. And I'm going to jump ahead and tell you, I got into this this role because uh, you mentioned you know I've been a regulator, a lawyer, a bandit manager. I actually ran HR, which people are shocked to hear uh, huh? <laughs> at some point. But that's your, so- that's your softer, cuddlier side. <laughs> uh, I had to get so- I had to get softer and cuddlier. Let's just let's say, put it this way: at some point. And I got into HR because uh, we were looking for someone who understood risk and risk analysis and legal issues with, with HR. But at some point after maybe our first couple of meetings with a manager or someone, uh, my assistant director said, eh, Albert, you're going to have to tone it down a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit softer and gentler because I, I tend to approach things very analytically and very direct. But um, uh, it, it, it has been interesting to get off into this. And, and I looked at the insurance council, who, by the way, was my client. Um, mm. I was a partner at Thompson Co. Cousins and Irons uh, law firm. And so seeing what the trade association did, I was their general counsel. So I was in board meetings and discussions and I gave legal advice on the issues. Uh, it seemed to be something that would be interesting to do and pretty good, pretty great responsibility uh, just representing the industry as a whole. Uh, Let, let's talk about an area of your expertise, work comp. This is this is an area that I've spent the last 15 years uh, diving deep on building software for. Okay. Um, you know, we, here at JB Knowledge, we've got just under 300 employees that build in software for insurance, carriers, TPAs, PBMs. Um, most of our stuff is work comp. And uh, I, I got introduced to work comp after spending a few years dealing with personal lines property. <clears throat> we still do personal lines property work, but but comps the majority of our business. Texas is kind of unique in comp. So can you can you explain how Texas is unique in work comp? Yeah, Texas kind of unique is an understatement. We are we are uh the only state that is truly a non-mandatory workers' compensation state. And what that means is as an employer in Texas, you're not mandated to have comp. You have a choice. Uh you can either have a workers' comp policy or you can provide some other sort of, of protection, uh, disability or, or wage uh, continuation protection, or you can simply choose to go bare and have nothing and take your chances uh, in the court system after an injury. We're the only state like that out of all, all 50 states. Uh, and so it it has, I when I go around and talk about if COP comes up, I'll sound it as it works for us. Um, the majority <laughs> of, of companies are in I uh, have an p- insurance policy. I think about 80 plus, 85 plus percent of employers have a policy. Um, but it, it is unique. It, it presents itself with uh, employers making decisions about, as you know, co- understand comp. Your worker gets injured. There's a set of benefits that come with it. If you don't have comp coverage, there's likely a lawsuit that will come with it. Uh, and so it, it makes us a little little different. It is a heavily... Uh, I'm trying to think of the right ways to describe it. An administratively driven system, meaning your benefits, uh, if you're injured, your medical care, if you're injured, is all pretty much laid out in statute uh, and follows a set of, of statutory requirements for you get this many benefits at this level for this time frame. That's not always the case in other states. Um, so Texas operates sort of I don't want to say as a lone wolf, but as unique. Uh, and we've had a couple of states, Oklahoma, uh, tried to adopt something like Texas uh, a few years ago. And I believe Tennessee uh, has explored 
adopting a similar system. Uh, and in other states, it often runs into pretty significant opposition, as you would imagine, from labor um, and, and the legal community, because uh, Texas's system does not rely upon uh, significant attorney involvement uh, in it. In fact, attorney involvement is very little uh, in workers' compensation in, in most in most claims. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I you know. The lawyers, the lawyers can't extract their 800 pounds of flesh from the well, process. Yeah, it's sad. I feel, I feel bad for my brother, and I do sympathize. But, uh, <laughs> but Texas does not not promote uh, or encourage le- uh, lawyer participation in comp until it gets to a certain level. Sure, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but otherwise, it's generally handled. It's worked well. Um, you're familiar with comp, and and uh, I came as in com- as commissioner back at '05. Uh, because we did a reform because our system was so bad at that point uh, and employers were threatening to leave it. Uh, doctors were threatening to move out of the system. Injured workers were unhappy. Uh, carriers were unhappy. So I got appointed and charged with implement the uh, reforms in 05. And I'll tell you what, I mean, there's been subsequent commissioners since me, obviously, but the system now today is generally viewed as a model uh, across the country because it works. Um, Good return to work rates. Uh, comp what? rates are low or down. They're low. They are. They are. They are low. I mean, look, the in the money speaks. I, by the way, I didn't put together that you were the work comp commissioner that implemented a lot of the reforms. So that's really cool. But I mean, the rates speak for themselves, right? Right. Right. And employers are, are in the happy. system, happy. Uh, doctors are back in the system and are happy because we. When I go into a lot of details, one thing I did was we did was help implement new uh, reimbursement rates for doctors, hospitals, and uh, ASCs, ambulatory surgical centers, and those worked. Um, and so the system now works pretty well. Not perfect. Um, you know, there's things obviously that are tweaked every now and then, but it works well. Do regul? You think? Um, kind of last question here. Do you think regulators struggle sometimes to keep up with the pace of change in technology and how it's how quick it moves? And you, you think you think or have they gotten better at being a little more agile and nimble and responding to to a changing technology landscape? I think they've gotten better um, as technology is in my lifetime. I've watched it change faster and faster each year, and so I think regulators are well aware of it. You know, there's you've heard maybe heard the term regulatory sandbox. You know, how do we create a regulatory sandbox that companies can try? Uh, new innovations, new products, new ideas without some of the regulatory hurdles that may exist in in statute because the laws are passed. They they are written when we may be thinking about a particular line of business or policy in a certain way. Uh, But I think now listening to the legislature, listening to to the regulator, TDI, they get it. They understand, hey, we've got to be nimble as products enter the market. Let's take a close look at it. And if we need a, a statutory change, let's get that before the legislature so that we're not, they're not impeding um, innovation, new products, um, companies from offering things like water detection uh, systems, that technology, which helps mitigate against its water losses, water damage. And so I, I think they're better. Oh, it, helps, it, helps, it helps mitigate like 85% of water losses. That's right. Yeah. It's a huge change, a huge shift. So I think they're getting better and and are much more aware of it. I can't say that across every state in the, in the nation, but I, I think it's it's something that's on the radar 
for companies, you know, AI with the increased use of, of, of AI and the data uh, that companies are now have access to that you referenced earlier. I think regulators have to be uh, aware and have to kind of, you can't sit there and think about insurance regulation like we did in, in 2000 or even probably 2010 um, because everything is just shifting so quickly. Okay. Part B of my final question, because okay. it just came up when you mentioned AI and I, I have a self-driving car. Who, who do you think is responsible when a car is in self-driving mode and it gets into an accident? That's a good question, James. Um, the lawyer in me says it will depend probably on what jurisdiction you're in. Um, and if there are any laws related to that, I know there's a, obviously the question here is that car is doing its thing. You're still the driver. I think generally the view is no matter what that car is programmed to do, self-drive, whatever, you as the driver still bear some responsibility um, in, in the, when that car is in motion. Now that said, when I'm suing you as a lawyer, I'm looking for the deep pockets. Um, yeah. And the so deep pockets may be, uh, probably are going to be with, I'm going to name Tesla, whichever uh, builder, that's where the money is. I can, I can recover on the driver's policy. Uh, so I, I think those that litigation is driven by where is the where's the money uh, to recover from. Yeah, that's a interesting case. I've had, I, I have a Cadillac, so it's GM. And uh, a couple of times it almost steered me into a car. Well, you know, because you know. it, it got, you know, the lane lines went away and then it, it couldn't detect lane lines and it had a challenge and, and I had to take over and, and stabilize the vehicle. Of course, you know, what GM did that I thought was annoying at first, and I think legally is brilliant, is they put a camera facing your face, and, this, and as soon as you look away, they start to slow the car down and disable it. So, you know, you've got to keep your eyes on the road, whereas in a, in a Tesla, there just has to be weight on the steering wheel. I think right. the G, GM approach is probably the wiser approach because it makes sure that you're awake right. and that you're, that you're looking out the front, front windshield. And... Um, because they they want you <laughs> to to ultimately be responsible for the for the safety of the vehicle. Right. You know? Yeah. It's it's um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I know you you heard the predictions a few years ago with the self driving vehicle, although there was very yeah. few that were quote self driving. Um, but the prediction was, oh, there'll be fewer auto claims, um, rates should go down, blah blah blah, and then the exact opposite. Yeah, happened well. because not everybody's driving a self driving vehicle. Um, and the people next to you may do something in, dumb in their vehicle. Um, and so you got the same problem. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's, 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 we all thought the, the world of the Jetsons, uh, if you remember that old cartoon, the flying Loved cars, blah, blah, blah. All the time. Yeah. We, we're not we, there. We thought that was coming and it's not quite there and probably won't be here for a while. No. And all the predictions were really off on timing, <clears throat> yeah. including the CEO of GM who said they'd have a, you know, largely self-driving fleet by 2018, <laughs> 2019, and 2021, and then 2022, and Super Cruise is still okay, not great. Yeah. Uh, their efforts in Austin, though, with Cruise, not Super Cruise, but Cruise is truly impressive. You know, those are truly autonomous vehicles. So I'm I'm going to be interested to see how the insurance landscape responds to driverless vehicles. And that's, that's uh, you know, just a topic for another day. Yeah. Well, look, we... We are we are out of time, but I really enjoyed meeting you, and I really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, can we just say it, Texas forever? 
There you I go, mean, Texas forever. I thought you were about <laughs> to say Texas fight, but I figured you wouldn't say. Uh, <laughs> I know. You're not, getting that, you're not getting that out of me. So uh, Texas forever, It's a. It, this is what a great state we live in. Uh, what a great state to do business in. What a great state to be in insurance in. And um, I just want to encourage anybody that's one of my listeners, go to insurancecouncil.org, insurancecouncil.org, and uh, check out their website. You've got a work comp conference coming up April 24th of next year that uh, I will probably be sliding into. Um, great, great. I, and I think we're going to talk a little AI uh, yeah. the workers comp at that conference. So, yeah, we're happy to see that's you awesome. there. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's it, it's going to be uh, there in Austin, which will be uh, will be really fun. So uh, exciting! But uh, again, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Good discussion, and uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today to geek out with our interview with Albert Betts from the Insurance Council of Texas. We'll see you in the next episode. The Insure Tech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith at endofinsurance.com. And thank you for joining us today. Look forward to talking with you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out.